The nursery workers are praying right now. Please be a short sermon. <laughs> Heard some babies crying. Yesterday was Richard Johnson's memorial service. I know a lot of you were here. It was good to see you. And in preparation for that service, I was thinking about my relationship to Richard. and uh, I knew him for about 12 years. I met him in 2008 uh, when um, Linda, his now wife, who was not his wife then, uh, was having heart surgery. And I met him at the hospital, and he was... Uh, a tense ball of nerves. He was, he was so worried. He was so worried about her. It was clear to me that he, he loved this woman that, that I knew well and was a part of our church, but I didn't know him at all. And uh, he pulled me out into the hallway of the hospital, and he, he wanted me to pray. Uh, he was not a Christian, but he wanted me to pray because you figured as a pastor I have this direct line to God and you know God would surely answer my prayers exactly the way I wanted them to so he wanted me to pray for to pray for Linda but he himself was uh, reluctant unwilling to pray because he he didn't understand what what that was so I did and that was the beginning of my friendship with Richard the next time that I, I remember spending time with him was in a very awkward meeting with he and Linda. Uh, they still were not married. He had been trying to get Linda to marry him for years. Like, I think over 20 years, he'd been trying to get her to marry him. And he was sitting before me in, right here. Uh, no, it wasn't here. This was some of the, one of our other churches. Uh, we were sitting down in an office. That's really funny because I picture it in there. But that's not possible. There was a desk. There were chairs. So it was similar, but it was different. And I'm sitting there, this is why it was awkward, because I'm telling Linda that she cannot marry him. He was not a Christian at the time. She was, and so it was a very black and white, though I liked Richard and was enjoying getting to know him, I said, you cannot marry him. She said later she thought he was going to punch me in the face. If you ever saw Richard's hands, that's a frightening thing, because they were like three times the size of my hands. It was a quiet ride home, apparently, and she was resolved to follow my counsel. The next time I met with Richard was at a Starbucks. This I do remember was over here off of Foothills in Maine. And we sat outside and he lobbed every question he could think of about God and about Jesus and about the Bible. And I answered them as best I could, but... I really didn't think I was getting anywhere. I was praying, and I was doing the best I could, but I didn't think the words were actually sinking in. Well, by God's grace, a couple Sundays later, he was in church. And then he was there for the following Sundays for the next 10 years. I had the privilege of baptizing him, and then the honor of officiating he and Linda's wedding. Then I had the great honor to be by his wife's side on October 18th when he passed away. And then to do the memorial service yesterday. What a privilege. What an honor to, to know him and to see the change that happened in his life. You know, this man that, who, was, who was reluctant to pray with me in that hospital 12 years ago, Linda would frequently, she told me this story on the day that he died, she said she would frequently 
um, leave the house for work and then she would forget something. Um, and so she would come back in the house to get what she had forgotten. And time after time when she did that, she would find Richard in the house on his knees praying for her. And what a transformation. What, what a change. Today's sermon text, it answers a really important question in light of Richard's death. Will he live again? Is it over for Richard? He lived a good life, and now it's done. Death came, knocked on his door, took him. So will Richard ever live again? His soul lives right now, this very minute with Jesus in paradise. The Bible is clear about this. But will he ever live again like he did on this world? That, that's what the text today is going to get to the bottom of. Will he ever live again like he did on this world? A physical life in a physical body on a physical earth? And Paul's answer is, Yes. Yes, absolutely. The dead will be raised according to the powerful ability and creativity of God. And they will be given imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual bodies. That is a great hope that Christians have. It's a great hope that Richard has. And it is the subject of Paul's words here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 49. So, let's bow our heads and pray together before we take this on. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Richard and the life that you gave him. And we know that you do all things well. And so the timing, as painful as it is, for some of us more, much more than others, we know that it was the right time to take him home to you. And so we're thankful that he is with you now. And we look forward to being reunited to him one day. Now, as we read your word, may we be encouraged in light of this. And we ask that your spirit would move and fill our minds with truth, fill our hearts with love for you and for one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. You'll find one most likely on the seat back in front of you or under that seat. You're going to be helped. I think you'll get more out of this if you follow along and look at these words. So page 904 if you're using one of our church Bibles. Page 904, 1 Corinthians 15. This entire chapter, if you've been here these last few weeks, you know. If not, I'll tell you, this entire chapter, 15 of 1 Corinthians, deals with the resurrection. That is the, the ultimate reunion of a Christian's body and soul to then live forever with God. 
The entire chapter is about that. And the reason that Paul devotes an entire chapter is because some of the Corinthians actually denied the resurrection of the dead. Paul asked in verse 12, How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can you deny it in light of Christ's resurrection? That's one of the points that he made in this chapter. But I think more importantly, Paul has asked, how can you deny the resurrection of the dead in light of how central it is to Christianity? I mean, this is a central message of Christianity. So he's asking them, how can you deny it? Listen, as Christians, we believe that one day we are going to die. One day, every one of us is going to die. And when we die, our body is going to go into the grave and our soul is going to be with Jesus. And then we believe that one day, our bodies will be raised from the dead. We believe that one day... Our bodies will be raised from the dead. And they will be reunited to our souls to live in a new physical life in a new physical world. So our belief in the resurrection, that is central to our eternal hope. So Paul gives an entire chapter to it here. And it was a tough pill for the Corinthians to swallow. It was tough mainly because the reigning philosophy of the day taught that the immaterial world was good and the material world was evil. The reigning philosophy of the day was that everything spiritual is good and everything physical was evil. In fact... Because they viewed the body as this sort of prison, they viewed death as a prison break. So, you can imagine, when they heard Paul preach about the resurrection, they pictured the soul being reunited to this decaying, rotting, buried corpse, animating it, to live forever. That sounds terrifying. It sounds like something from the walking dead. And so Paul answers two of the questions. He answers two of the questions that they had. And here they are in verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? So there's our outline today. Paul's going to answer these two questions. Question number one for the Corinthians, how are the dead raised? And then question number two, with what kind of body do they come? So let's look at the answer he gives to the first question. How are the dead raised? Paul responds in verse 36. You foolish person. Or you 
fools. In other words, what is actually foolish is to reject biblical truth for the philosophy of the day. He turned the tables on them. They saw Paul as being absurd and foolish when he talked about this resurrection of the dead. And Paul says, actually, you're the ones being foolish. You're being foolish because you are taking the philosophy of the day and you are rejecting biblical truth. The foundation that you stand on determines what you think is foolish. If you stand on the Bible, then you think the philosophy of the day, whatever that is, because it changes. If you stand on the Bible, then you think the philosophy of the day is foolish. But if you stand on philosophy, then sure, you think the Bible is foolish. So Paul is pointing out that folly. But then graciously he answers their question in verses 36 through 38. So these verses are Paul's response to how are the dead raised? They want to know, Paul, how are the dead raised? How is that possible? How does that work? Help us wrap our minds around the resurrection of the dead, Paul. Verse 36. What you sow... Now that means plant in the ground. That's not needle and thread sow. This is like garden, farming, sowing. You plant something in the ground. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. Did you hear what Paul just did? They asked Paul a reasonable question. How are the dead raised? How is that possible? And Paul says, well, look at the plants. Solomon in the Old Testament, when he was confronting laziness, said, look at the ants. Jesus, when he was comforting those who were anxious, said, look at the lilies of the field. Look at the birds of the air. The psalmists, when they're calling us to worship God, say, look at the mountains. Look at the heavens. Look at the sun and the moon and the stars. The world God made is full of metaphors. One of the reasons God made the universe the way He did is to reflect His glory. And often the answers to our questions are at the very least hinted at in creation around us. And so as he begins to answer their question about how the dead are raised, Paul says, well, look at the plants. Before this this tiny little seed, 
before this seed becomes a, a fruitful and beautiful plant, first, that seed needs to be buried. And as far as we know, it needs to die. And that's a picture, Paul is saying. That's a picture of death and resurrection. Just like these plants. Just like these plants, the dead are raised according to the powerful ability of God. If God can do this, God can do that, is what Paul is saying. Let me read you what Richard Pratt said about these verses in his commentary. The ability of a seed... To overcome its burial should be reason enough for everyone to believe that human beings may be resurrected by God's supernatural power. God displays His sovereign ability and desire to raise the dead each time He grows a seed into a plant. So Paul goes on, still answering the how question. If he just pointed to God's ability, now he's going to point to God's creativity. Verse 39. For not all flesh is the same. So he's moving on from plants to flesh now. He's moving on to living creatures. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies. Now Paul is saying, look up. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So he moves on from plants, and now he moves and says, look at people and animals and birds and fish and the sun and the moon and the stars. And then verse 32, so it is, just like that, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. So here's what Paul is saying. Look around you and look at the creativity of God. They're asking, how is this possible? How are we going to be reunited to our bodies to live forever? What kind of body is this going to be? And he says, look at God's powerful ability. Look at God's creativity. Everything that God has created, from this plant to these stars. Everything God has created has been perfectly fit for its environment. Everything, whether on earth below or in the heavens above. And God will provide His people with new bodies that are perfectly fit for his new kingdom forever. I believe that's what Paul is doing. He's probably not answering their question exactly the way they wanted it answered. But he's telling them what they need to know. He doesn't explain the science of it. We know the science, don't we, now? about what happens to a seed when it's put into a ground. They didn't know that. They knew what needed to take place, but they didn't know all the science of it. It was a miracle. It is a miracle. And Paul doesn't then give them here all the mechanics of how a soul is reunited to a body. I'm sure he didn't even know. But rather, 
he points out to the Corinthians that all these other impossible things, look, God has done them. So he's able to do this thing that in your mind is also impossible. So to summarize, to summarize Paul's answer to our question, how are the dead raised? The dead shall be raised according to the powerful ability and creativity of God. That's the answer he gives. That answers the first question, at least as far as Paul is able and willing to answer it. The second question, with what kind of body do they come? Or the way that that question typically gets asked today, what kind of body will we have in heaven? What kind of body will we have in heaven? I can remember having that question when I was a little kid. In fact, almost as long as I can remember, I wanted to know, what was this body going to be like in heaven? And for me, it wasn't, it wasn't answered satisfactorily until I was in my 20s. For a long time, I I didn't understand some of the things that Paul is going to point out here. In fact, I'll tell you a secret. When I was a kid, I did not want to go to heaven. I'm not saying I wanted to go to the other place. But I did not want to go to heaven. Because it sounded like this weird and terrible place. There was no fun. I know. You can't believe me, can you, Avery? She's just, she can't believe that I was thinking that way. Okay, put your hands down. We're okay. I'll explain. I'll explain. Now, I think looking back, the reason is, that, is my understanding of heaven and my understanding of what was going to take place there was shaped by 80s television and movies. So like The Heavenly Kid, if you've seen that, or Highway to Heaven was a popular show. I don't recommend any of these shows. They're super weird. Or All Dogs Go to Heaven was another movie. There was a show that was called Touched by an Angel. These were really weird shows, but it was shaping, you know. I guess my parents weren't pumping truth into me, and so I'm getting shaped. My understanding of heaven and what it's going to be like, was, was, I was getting it from these movies. So I didn't want to go to heaven. Because I misunderstood it. I thought it to be a place that was nothing like this earth. Uh, I thought it was just going to be up in the clouds. Whenever I saw it depicted, it was just, it was people that were floating in clouds. Uh, They had wings, but the wings weren't cool like that guy in the Avengers. They were like these feminine looking white wings that I didn't want to have. Everybody was playing a harp. I'm not musical. If you play the harp, that's great, but I, I didn't want to do that. And so I just pictured us floating around. This was heaven floating around with these feminine wings playing the harp sitting on clouds. And I'm a kid, and life is, was pretty good. By God's grace, life was pretty good when I was a kid. And I'm thinking, that, is, that sounds awful. That sounds awful. This right here on earth sounds much better than that. So the good news, that's actually not how heaven is depicted 
in the Bible. So I know there's some kids here right now, and they're thinking, because they are thinking like I was thinking. That is not what the Bible says heaven is like. In fact, a better way to ask the question, uh, what kind of body will we have in heaven, is this. What kind of body will we have on the new earth? That's the better question. You don't think of yourself floating around in the sky somewhere. What kind of body will we have on the new earth? God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth, and that's where his people will be forever. So that's the question that Paul is really answering here. So let's read his answer beginning in verse 42. What is sown, again, buried, is a body that is put in the grave. It's this body that you have. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It, this body, is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. This, it is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So let's get into this. And we'll bring in a few other scriptures as well. We will be reunited to our same bodies. This body that you have now. We will be reunited to these same bodies. Recognizable to ourselves and to others. But with very different qualities. And that's what Paul lists here. There are four things he says about our forever bodies. Number one. This body is perishable. My new body will be imperishable. This body is subject to decay. This body ages. It is fragile. It is perishable. My new body will be imperishable. Number two. This body is sown in dishonor. My new body will be raised in glory. This refers to appearance this body requires a lot to look its best can some of you relate to that this body requires a lot of work to look its best its best isn't that great but it requires a lot of work to look its best this body these bodies ever since adam and eve in the garden have felt ashamed and have been hiding. My new body will be raised in glory. There's not much else I can say about that. There's mystery here. But whatever it is, it's good. Number three. This body is sown in weakness. My new body will be raised in power. This body is weak. This body needs help lifting a table. This body wears glasses. This body is terrible at remembering things. My new body will have the strength of a bear. I hope. I think. I will have the eyes of an eagle and the memory of an elephant. I've heard they have good memories. Number four, 
This body is a natural body. My new body will be a spiritual body. I th- Paul is summarizing what he's saying here. This here is like the summary of the point he's making. This body, you know, this body is a natural body. It is made from dirt, and it's going to be dirt again. That's the fact. That is the reality of this natural body. But my new body will be a spiritual body. Those are two words that don't go together normally. My new body will be a spiritual body. It will be an immortal body. An immortal body. So, we will have these bodies, but these bodies will be changed. And it will be these bodies that are fit to live in this new and perfect earth. It's what Philippians 3.20 says. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, in the future, He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. 1 John 3, 2 says something similar. On that day, we will be like Him. So Jesus was resurrected, given a new spiritual, glorious body. And the Bible tells us here and elsewhere that our body, that's a picture. Those are the first fruits, remember. Our body will be like His body. So if you want to do something interesting this week, read John 20 and 21, which describes, and you watch what Jesus was doing with His body after He was resurrected. And you get an idea of what our resurrected body bodies will be like his friends and family recognized him so it was his body but he was able to do things that he did not do before again Richard Pratt says Christ's appearances in his resurrected body demonstrated that he continued to be physical and material but this physicality had special characteristics for example now I start to get when I think about this I start to get really excited This hope for the eternal life and these new bodies that we will have. But he was able to appear suddenly. Even in rooms with locked doors. And to vanish just as quickly. At the same time, however, he was able to break bread. To eat fish. To cook and distribute food. Moreover, people were able to touch him. So there's continuity and there's discontinuity between these bodies and the bodies in the life to come. But the bodies in the life to come are far, far, far superior. Next, the end of our verses here, verses 45 through 49. Paul does his best to explain the origin of these new spiritual bodies. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Christ, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of of the man of heaven. So he says the, the first Adam, the first man, was created by God from dust. You can read about it in Genesis 1 and 2. 
The first Adam was created by God from dust. And he was made, Paul says, he calls him a living being. And he became a source of all human life. So first Adam, from dust, he was a living being. And now contrast, the second Adam, which is another name for Jesus. The second Adam did not come from the earth, he came from heaven. And he is not merely a living being, but he is, what does it say in verse 45? A life-giving spirit. Let me ask you a question. Are you of Adam? And all of us would have to answer, yes. Yes, we are all of Adam. The more important question is, are you of Christ? I'll tell you right now, some of you are, and some of you are not. If you are of Christ, that means if you are a Christian, that means that you have heard and believed the gospel. It is the best thing you've ever heard. You believe it, and you have entrusted your life to the hero of that gospel, Jesus Christ. If you are of Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then on the last day, your body will be raised according to the powerful ability and creativity of God. And you will be given an imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual body. That's the point that Paul is making. In conclusion, one day, like a seed, we're all going to be buried. Morbid to think about. But one day, like a seed, you will be buried and you will return to the earth. What will come of you? Will you live again? How will you live again? The answer to that question depends on whether or not you are in Christ. If you are a Christian, then your best life is not now. Your best life is later. If you're not, if you're here today and you don't believe the gospel, I would call you to believe today. To believe that the gospel is true. The good news that Jesus came and he lived and he suffered and he died and he rose from the dead in your place so that you could be reconciled to God. He lived the perfect life that you should, should live but don't. 
And he died a death in your place to suffer the punishment that you deserve for your sin. So that you could be forgiven, washed clean. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a story. It sounds too good to be true. But it is in fact true. So believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. And if you believe the gospel, well then you will entrust yourself to Christ. For the forgiveness of your sins, you will begin to live for Him and not for yourself. And you will find a new brother or sister in Christ and you will tell them what has happened to you. And you will have new hope. And part of that new hope will be that one day, on that last day, you will be raised from the dead by the powerful ability and creativity of God. And He will give you a new body that is imperishable, that is glorious, that is powerful, that is spiritual. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word and thank You for the help that Your Spirit gives us in understanding Your Word. And thank You for the encouragement that You give us today. As we're faced with, as Jason was praying earlier, as we're faced with the trouble in this world, as we're faced with the trouble in our own bodies, as we're faced with pain and suffering, God, it makes us long for this day when you will make all things right, when we will live with new bodies together with you in the new heavens and the new earth. God, help us to live this life for your glory and help us by causing us to look forward to that day. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take communion together now, and I just realized that I forgot to get a communion packet. If somebody could bring me one, that would be great. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter, thank you, Katie, chapter 11. This is what Paul wrote about what we're going to do this morning. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here we are, thousands of years later, doing what Jesus told us to do, doing it together, eating this bread together, drinking this juice together, and remembering and celebrating what Jesus did for us. And so if you're here and you're visiting, you're welcome to take communion with us if you are a baptized believer. If you've believed the gospel and placed your faith in Christ and you're committed to Him and His people, you're committed to a local church, whether it's this or another one that preaches the same gospel that you heard here today, you're welcome to take communion with us. So if you take this communion packet and peel off this top layer and get to this um, wafer, this is a symbol of the body of Christ. So let's take and eat this together.
and peel back this next layer, and we have this cup. And this cup is a symbol of the blood of Christ. Let's take and drink this together. Will you please stand again with me?